And if I still remember what buttons to press, I'll bring you episode 91 of Mosin at Large. An M1 MacBook Air and a Dell XPS 15 have made it to Mosin Towers. We'll take a look at both of those. Mainstream companies that can't cope with giving blind people tech support. More Mantis thoughts, a review of the Revo and more. Mosin at Large Podcast. Welcome back. I'm pleased to be back with you for another year of Mosin at Large. And of course, we are into a new decade as well. So we may well talk about that a little bit later. I hope that your holiday break was a pleasant one. And if you're in this part of the world where we take time to recharge and reflect and get ready for another busy year, I hope that you had a good chance to do all of those things. Here in New Zealand, we have been successful, I'm pleased to say, in keeping COVID out of the community all summer long. We've had zero cases out in the community as everybody's been camping and getting together, and that is a real achievement around the world, though it is grim. In the UK and Europe, countries are locked down yet again. In the United States, it's rampant. Australia's been doing pretty well. But I know there'll be many people listening to this who are just totally over it. And of course, the longer this goes on, the more of us know somebody directly who has either had COVID and recovered or even more sadly, who has died of COVID. So we send lots of best wishes to everybody around the world coping with this. I note that there have been some mainstream articles published about blindness and the pandemic and how blind people are impacted by the pandemic in terms of their mobility, getting around. It's good to know that there's that increased awareness, but it doesn't, of course, change the challenges that many people are facing day to day. So by all means, if you would like to give us an update on how things are going for you in this COVID-19 era, what you've been experiencing, how you're getting on with, say, food delivery, if you're trying to get groceries and other things delivered so that you don't have to go out to places like supermarkets where it can be very difficult to get the chores done that you need to get done while maintaining social distancing and not annoying everybody. And, you know, it's a really challenging time. So I'd welcome any comments from people around the world just letting us know how it's going for you. And I think this is one of the areas where podcasts like this one can bring us together as we perhaps share ideas and common experiences and just feel like we're not alone dealing with all of this. I wonder if this is universal, but When I was at school, we used to come back from any break that we had from school and we'd do these morning talks, you know, what I did during my break. And I would think that is probably universal, but you never take these things for granted, do you? But I have a bit to tell you about in terms of things that I did on my break. So quite a lengthy bit of verbiage from me to start the year of uh, Mosin at Large, but I hope you find it interesting. Now, first of all, Let's get right into the gadgets, because I've been considering updating my laptop for a few months now. The HP Spectrefolio that I've been using is a lovely machine. It's thin and it's light, and it's all clad in leather. Yeah, easy now, Boris, easy. When I was doing a lot of international travel in previous roles I've held, thin and light was really important as I was traipsing through airport after airport, Long international flight after long international flight where really the ability to hold out that long on a laptop was more important than the specs. And I'd often have some sort of braille device in my backpack as well. So thin and light was important for that reason. And let's face it, I mean, a thin and light laptop just looks sexy. 
In my current role, I do, of course, transport my laptop a bit, usually to the office and back, sometimes to board meetings or other meetings, and sometimes on domestic flights. And I also used to use my HP Spectrefolio as a desktop replacement at the office. I bought one of those cool Thunderbolt docks with plenty of USB ports, which also acted as an audio interface. It has one of those built in. And I'd plug a lovely mechanical keyboard into that dock so I could have a good typing experience all day long. And while the Spectrefolio wasn't horribly slow, of course, not by any means, it was noticeably more sluggish than the PC here in the studio, product managed by me, but built by the incredibly gifted Henry, the wonder son-in-law. Not only did Henry build this powerhouse PC that powers this podcast and all of these things, he also built the Mushroom Pot, which we commissioned for service back in September of last year. And as long as he keeps doing magic like that, It helps me come to terms with someone marrying my oldest daughter. So there you go, the challenges of fatherhood. You just notice, though, the difference when apps are loading. And, of course, you particularly notice it when you're doing heavy-duty audio processing, which I do for this show. And once I've recorded something, it's kind of nice to curl up on the couch or even in bed when the non-24 is doing its thing and get some editing done and some post-production processing done. There was one more issue that didn't matter very much when I was going into the office every day and connecting my Spectrefolio to my Thunderbolt dock, which had its own audio interface. And plus, at the office, I was using one of those little Apple iPhone docks and doing most of my video conferencing on the iPhone. I like to do that because before I go into a video conference, I open up the camera app and switch to the front-facing camera, and I have voiceover telling me when I'm properly in the view of the camera and when I'm centered. This is a fantastic feature. It gives me confidence as a blind person who is communicating a lot with sighted people that I'm going to look okay. No Windows screen reader offers that, to the best of my knowledge, and in this pandemic era where we're all doing a lot of video conferencing, I think that's appalling. Perhaps the blame lies with Microsoft for not exposing this information in a way that screen readers can pull. Maybe screen reader developers haven't appreciated how visual this is, but whoever's dropping the ball here, Apple is kicking butt in this area and giving blind people the confidence to know that they're going to be seen properly. This stuff matters. But anyway, from home, there have been times recently where I would like to use my laptop's camera occasionally. The camera on my Spectrefolio has always worked fine, but the built-in microphone never has. It's always been exceedingly quiet. Some of the apps with really good automatic gain control can boost it to the considerable number of decibels required, but not all could. I mean, it's so bad if you take just an ordinary sound recorder like the one built into Windows or anything at all, and you make a recording, it is barely audible. When you normalize it, it's fine. You know, it sounds really quite good, actually. But the level is abysmally low. Now, I'm very familiar with audio on Windows, so I checked all the usual things, looking for alternative drivers and all that good stuff. I didn't want to purchase a USB headset, Which would, of course, solve the problem because then that acts as a Windows audio device separate from what's built in. 
But I have these direct audio input cable technologies for my hearing aids, and they plug directly into the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. So a USB headset on my head is superfluous from the headset point of view, and it can actually be quite uncomfortable to wear a headset on top of certain hearing aids. So over the summer, I had the opportunity to research this issue some more. You know, there was a period where there was no cricket on the radio and everything was quiet. So I did a bit of Googling and I found that other people had this issue too, including actually a friend of mine who purchased this laptop a little after I did. So one brave afternoon with nothing better to do, I took the courageous step of calling HP Technical Support. It is possible that I have an unduly sort of jaundiced view of uh, technical support lines because I hardly ever have to phone them. I'm pretty good at doing my own troubleshooting and my research. And if I strike a problem that I can't find a fix for, it's usually a really tricky, unusual problem that I'm calling about. I've worked for tech companies, of course, so I do know how helpful it is to give the person that I'm speaking with a really clear description of what my problem is and the steps that I've taken to try and fix the problem. I usually precede my description with a comment to the effect that I'm an experienced computer user and I know my way around Windows. What often happens, of course, is regardless of what you say, many of these companies have their reps working from a script. And I get why that's necessary, but I think it's also reasonable to expect that these tech support reps should be trained with listening skills. If I've specifically said that I've attempted a troubleshooting step that's on their little script, it would be nice if they would take my word for that and move along. But anyway, often it's the path of least resistance to just play their game and hope that at some point you might get to a point where it either gets escalated or they look up some internal database and give you some information that you don't already have that's not out there on the public internet. But there's one thing that really throws their little script off, especially if they don't combine that script with any listening skills. Often with these general tech support lines, when you tell them that you're blind, they simply don't have a clue what to do with you. And for that reason, I often don't tell them that I'm blind unless it becomes absolutely necessary because it just throws a spanner in the works. And those who do understand what blind actually means will then often blame your blindness technology on whatever the problem is when it clearly has nothing to do with it. Often, though, they think that they must have misheard you and they ask you to repeat what you said. When the scary reality hits that they heard you correctly, and they realize they have an issue that isn't scripted for, often you get an apology. You say, oh, I'm, I'm a blind person. I say, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> they apologize for the fact that you're blind. And when they're over that, they often make sure that you really are really, really, really blind. Can you see anything at all? They ask. And when I reply that no, I'm as blind as a bat, mate, they often move on to asking, well, is there someone there who can help you? I bet many people listening can relate to this. And I try to explain patiently that first, no, there isn't. And second, even if there was, chances are very high that I'd be a lot more competent with the situation than whoever else is here. And third, I'm using a screen reader. So really, we don't need the help as long as we avoid visual descriptions. Often, they don't even seem to know 
what a screen reader is. But I point out, nicely, that presumably they do have the means to establish a remote session and this might be the quickest way of resolving any issue, assuming that they have a solution that's viable. What's incredible is that even after you've completed this lengthy song and dance about blindness, they will still ask you if you can see meters or lights or any manner of things as if the conversation you just had never happened. Now, I know it's frustrating, but of course, I should say it is really important not to be a dick in these circumstances. Many of these first level tech support people haven't been trained well and they're not paid well either. Being rude to them isn't the answer. We do have a legitimate grievance. I completely accept that. And large companies have both the resources and the moral and legal obligation to offer disability aware technical support. Apple led the way here, and Microsoft and Google have since followed. Big companies like HP can certainly afford to do it too, but we mustn't take it out on these frontline people. Anyway, when we eventually got past this song and dance routine that is all too common for many blind people, the best that the rep could offer was that I had the volume on the speakers set too low, and that's why the input was so quiet. When I patiently explained yet again, that this was clearly a matter of input and not output, the rep had me reinstall the latest drivers, which I explained I already had done, and then suggested that there might be some relevant settings in the BIOS, which neither the rep nor I were able to access. It's inaccessible in there. I indicated I would have someone take a look at the BIOS next time that they were here, And then the rep said that someone from HP would call me back the following week to find out how I got on. It seemed likely to me that no solution was forthcoming. And I haven't had a lot of luck with companies calling me back, to be honest, with the exception of Apple, which is like clockwork. If Apple say they will call you back at a particular time, in my experience, Apple always calls you back when they say they will. But to my surprise, I did get a call back at the appointed day anyway, from a supervisor at HP, who, while not expressly admitting it, implied strongly that actually this issue was a hardware fault that they know about. And it's a shame that the first level rep didn't have that on their database, so we could have avoided all this rigmarole. And so the supervisor said that they would happily take the laptop back, even though the warranty has now expired, and they would repair or replace it at no charge to me. By that stage, I'd bought a new machine and I was actually preparing the HP Spectrefolio for sale to help me subsidize the purchase of the new laptop. But I have now sent it to them and I'll be interested to see if it comes back with the built-in microphone operating at a remotely usable level. Phew! So, what have I ended up with? I was looking seriously at an HP Elite Dragonfly, which looks like an amazing, sleek performer. But as you can appreciate, I'm a little bit off HP at the moment. But also, while the Elite Dragonfly is very thin and light, more so even than the MacBook Air, which is really saying something because that's a very cute machine, my needs have changed a little bit. What I'm really after is outstanding performance from a laptop, but also I wanted a laptop where the speakers sounded great. My goal, if I could achieve it, 
was to see if I could find a Windows laptop whose speakers sound as good as the MacBook Pro. And the MacBook Pro has stunning speakers for a laptop. If you haven't done this yet, go into a store and turn voiceover on on a MacBook Pro and see if you can play some music if possible. And you will be wowed by this. And also the computer that I bought is is similar. The combination of all of my requirements has led me to owning my first ever Dell laptop. And I now own a Dell XPS 15. So why the 15 inch over the 13? Basically the performance and the speaker quality. I have never heard a Windows laptop sound as good as this thing. You can listen to music and movies or audio you are creating yourself with these speakers and truly appreciate the audio. Now let me get the dodgy bit out of the way. The one thing I strongly dislike about the Dell XPS 15 is where they've put the home and end keys. In the past, I've gone out of my way to only buy laptops with dedicated home, end, page up, and page down keys. The HP Spectres, for example, have this, although not all HP models do. The Dragonfly, for example, doesn't. If I absolutely must, I can tolerate having the home, end, page up, and page down associated with the FN and the arrow keys. But a few laptops, including, I think, some of the new Microsoft Surface and Surface Book models, have function with F11 and function with F12 as the home and end keys, leaving the more common function with left and right arrow keys unassigned. Now, Googling on this to see if I could find a fix for this, it seems that this is a new thing with the 2020 version of the Dell XPS 15, which is, of course, what I have. And many keyboard warriors hate it as much as I do. Why anyone thinks that putting home and end way up there is a good idea is completely beyond me. You might think it's possible to reassign these keys using tools like Sharp Keys or Windows Power Toys, but it's not because the FN key isn't seen by any of these utilities. And if you can't use the FN key, then you really sort of have to wonder, what what are you going to do? Where are you going to assign these keys? Now, some people are so uptight about this, the, the assignment of the home and end keys, that they have actually returned their device as a result. The store that I bought this XPS 15 from, which is the same store that was so good about replacing the Sony TV with the Samsung TV last year. So that was an incentive for me to buy more from them. They assured me that if I had a problem, I had a 14-day right-of-return policy, no questions asked. And I did seriously think about returning it because of where the home and end keys are. But I ended up keeping it because of all of the benefits which easily outweighed this negative. I'm hoping, though, that enough pressure will be exerted on Dell to give us a BIOS option that will assign function with left and right arrow to home and end because they're not being used for anything at the moment anyway. There's a workaround of sorts in that now that I have an APH Mantis, the Braille display with a QWERTY keyboard that I reviewed last year on Mosin at Large, I'm using it a lot with whatever device that I'm using, and it uses the more common convention of mapping home and end to function with left and right arrow. Other than that, I love the keyboard on the Dell XPS 15. When I first put my fingers on it in the store, I was a little concerned that it was a bit flat, a bit like the thankfully defunct MacBook butterfly keyboard. 
but the action on it is great. I can type with rapidity and accuracy on it. Performance is excellent. You can authenticate on the XPS 15, either with your fingerprint or with face identification. I always configure my Windows machines to play the Windows startup sound. I think that's an important accessibility hack, just in case your screen reader doesn't load for some reason. At least you know that the operating system has. So when I put my finger on the highly accurate fingerprint reader, the moment that I hear the start of the Windows startup sound, it goes to the desktop really quickly and JAWS just starts to speak. It may not be quite as speedy as my desktop PC in the studio, but boy, it copes very well, very respectably, with some pretty intensive tools like Isotope RX-8 Advanced. You can get the XPS 15 in several configurations. Mine has an Intel 10th generation i7 processor with 8 cores. It clocks in at 1.3 gigahertz and it has up to 5.1 gigahertz with turbo boost. There's 16 gigs of RAM and 512 gigs of hard drive space. Lower specs are also available, including an i5 processor and 256 gigs of storage. And you can crank it way up if you want to. Dell laptops are highly configurable. So if you want, you can take it all the way up to one terabyte of storage and an impressive 64 gigabytes of RAM. You can get a version that offers touch and one that does not. I chose not to get the touch version. In terms of ports, it has three USB-C ports, two offer Thunderbolt and one does not. You can charge the laptop with any of the three ports. Dell includes a USB-A to USB-C adapter in the box. And my previous laptop didn't have a USB-A port either. So I've gotten used to this over the last uh, little while. A nice touch is that it has an SD card slot. And that can be handy for getting audio off my Zoom F6 without having to navigate the menus of the F6 and connect it via USB. And if you own a Mantis or similar device... You can also use it to copy material to and from your Braille device. It offers Wi-Fi 6 and Bluetooth 5.0. It has a 1080 pixel webcam, and it's not going to win any prizes for thin and light, but you know, given what you're getting, it really isn't that bad. It weighs 2.05 kilograms, that's 4.5 pounds. In terms of size, you've got 13.57 by 9.06 by 0.71 inches, that's 344.72 by 230.14 by 18 millimeters. Now, in terms of the screen, I can't comment a lot on that from personal experience, funnily enough, but my kids tell me that the screen is phenomenal, and a number of tech publications have described the XPS 15 as best in class. Tech Radar says that the 2020 version of the XPS 15 has surpassed its smaller sibling. The XPS 13 is the best laptop to get. Battery life, well, it varies a lot, depending on what you're doing with the laptop. If I'm just cruising the web or doing some word processing, I've seen well over 10 hours with it. When doing really intensive audio post-production, of course, it goes way down. When you're really cranking up the intensive work, there is a fan and it spins up to keep the processor cool so you get good performance, but it can be quite noisy. 
The audio system for output I've already talked about. What's it like for input? Well, let me just quickly switch to the built-in mic of the XPS 15 and do a bit of recording and you can hear what it sounds like. Here we are on the XPS 15's built-in mic and I'm not making any particular effort here. I've just got Reaper loaded with the same project that I've been recording this in and I'm talking with the Dell XPS 15 on the desk in front of me at about the distance that I would be just through regular use. So I think this is quite acceptable for a built-in microphone and certainly up there with some of the higher-end laptops in terms of the quality that it's producing. Some of Dell's built-in software isn't worth keeping and some has some accessibility challenges. The support utility that tweaks performance and keeps drivers up to date is usable. What's also fascinating about Dell is that they offer an app called Mobile Connect. After an extensive configuration process where the iPhone pops up notifications I've never seen before, you can get notifications from your iPhone on your Dell laptop, making it feel very Mac-like. You can also send and receive text messages via Dell Mobile Connect. The way this works is that the text messages that you type are sent back to the phone via Bluetooth, and then they're sent through the iPhone itself. It really is quite cool. Sadly, accessibility needs a lot of work. I was able to get by with it, though, and make it work, although I found that it made Siri on my iPhone unreliable. When I pushed the side button to invoke Siri, often I wouldn't hear the tone and it seemed to be acting up. I would be interested to know how other blind users are getting on with Mobile Connect because it's got a lot of potential. And I was running a beta of iOS at the time, so that could have had an impact on the Siri experience that I was having. I should say also that you can make calls via your laptop, but I found that a little bit laggy. I found that there was a bit of latency there, so I'd be interested in hearing whether others experience that as well. But Dell Mobile Connect has the potential to be a productivity game changer. And it's calling out for somebody to script it with JAWS. And I would be quite happy to pay for scripts if they were produced. But that said, it would be good to see Dell pay some attention to the accessibility of the app. The computer also comes with a sound utility for output, which includes an equalizer, among other things. And it does make a difference. It is completely inaccessible. And I needed Iris help to get the equalizer presets and things configured the way I liked them. One thing I have also sacrificed by going with this model is my built-in LTE or 4G, which I've had on Windows laptops for well over four years now. This just reflects the way that I'm working at the moment and the fact that battery life on iPhone has also improved substantially over the years So if I need to use my laptop when I'm out and about and I don't have ready access to a Wi-Fi connection, it's likely to be for quite a short period and I can use my Wi-Fi hotspot in those circumstances. Now, one of the greatest modern curses of Windows laptops is the Realtek audio drivers and their tendency to hibernate the built-in audio very quickly to save battery life. As I've mentioned before here on Mosin at Large, There is a third-party utility, Silenzio, which gets around this horrible issue by sending silence to the sound card to keep it active. And now JAWS, of course, includes a feature that does the same thing. On some laptops, it's also possible to get around this by changing the performance plan. This hasn't done the trick for me with this laptop 
And you can also potentially, on some, replace the Realtek drivers with the generic Microsoft drivers. I've yet to try this. It didn't work on my HP, but it may work on this. But it's an issue that I believe is long overdue for Microsoft's intervention. So, as you can tell, I'm very fussy (laughs) when it comes to the computers that I work with. But the XPS 15 is a snappy performer. It sounds stunning through its speakers, making us realize that, you know, a lot of laptop manufacturers are really shortchanging us with the way that they sound, because good sound is most certainly possible. Apple have proven that. And although their leader is the MacBook Pro with the sound, the new MacBook Airs sound really good as well. And the keyboard on the XPS 15, with the exception of that bizarre home and in situation, is lovely to type on. So I'm very happy overall with this laptop. Steve Cutway is listening live. He says, hi, Jonathan. Nancy bought an external USB mic for about $26 from Amazon to address precisely your issue. This relates to the low level on the Spectre. Uh, She didn't want to have to wear headphones during Zoom meetings. It works very well and has lots of audio gain because it's an electric condenser capsule. Thanks, Steve. When I want to do this sort of conferencing, I am usually on the couch or something like that. So I don't want to hold a microphone. If I'm going to be doing something kind of a bit more official, then I'm in the office where I have a really great lavalier microphone. The other thing I would say too is that Zoom's echo cancellation is usually pretty good, and this applies to Teams and most of these tools now, but it does sometimes fail, especially, for example, when two people are accidentally talking over each other or whatever. We actually have in our audio conferencing guidelines at my organization, please do not attend a Zoom or a Teams call without wearing some sort of headphones or headset because it really can cause havoc. The echo cancellation has to sometimes do quite a lot of work. And sometimes you can be talking away and someone does something at their end or whatever. And suddenly about a half a second, well, not maybe a half a second, a little less than that. You hear something back in this very tinny way because somebody's echo cancellation has failed and they're coming back at you through their speakers. So I, I would not recommend Zoom or Teams calls without some sort of headset on. Now, I think it would be fun to hear your stories about mainstream tech companies and how they have coped with the fact that you are blind, whether it be your internet service provider or a computer company or whoever, really, where it's become necessary for you to mention that you're a blind person and what reactions you got. If you want to share some with me, jonathan at mushroomfm.com is my email address. Attach an audio clip or just write something down and send it along. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com. The listener line number is available to you as well in the United States. 864-60-MOSIN. 864-606-6736. Mosin at Large Podcast. Kelly Superger is in Moose Jaw, Canada. He says, hi, Jonathan. I'm looking forward to hearing Mosin at Large again and hope you had a great holiday. I had a very relaxing Christmas break, during which I spent a few days with my parents on the farm. Yee. Unfortunately, he says, my brother and his family weren't able to visit because of the virus restrictions, but I'm sure we'll all get together when the pandemic is finally over. But I brought one of my accordions with me, and my dad, who plays acoustic guitar and I, were able to do some jamming. 
some of which I recorded with my recently obtained iPhone X using HokuSai. That's a great app, Kelly. I also got a new audiobook by Willie Nelson and his sister Bobby called Me and Sister Bobby, which discusses their family background, how they got into music, etc. Being fans of classic country music, we enjoyed listening to the book during the holiday. As for the worst tech support story, I haven't had too many of those, but here's one that stands out for me, though it had nothing to do with my blindness. A few years ago, I contacted Behringer about a problem with my mixer's USB function, which was causing one of my sound cards to stop working. I spoke with a rep who had been recommended to me by a friend. I didn't inform the rep that I was blind, but did try to tell him about my problem. I say try because he interrupted me midway with a lecture about why it's important to reinstall Windows every couple of months. I argued with him, explaining that I was calling about an issue with my mixer. He replied, I know, but you'll find that most problems are resolved by reinstalling Windows. Eventually, I thanked him and contacted my friend to tell him that the rep in question wouldn't be getting any further business from me. I gave up trying to use the USB function after that, but recently tried it again to see if I could get the mixer to serve as an audio interface. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Even with the necessary drivers installed, I heard no sound from programs like Winamp or Station Playlist Studio, and none of the controls on the mixer did anything. Oh well, it was a good idea. Thanks, Kelly. And while there's no doubt that Windows can build up a bit of crud over time and get sluggish and bloated, and it can be a good thing to reinstall, I think every two months you have to say life's a bit too short for that. Andy is in touch with a story he says only a blind person would understand, and I get what he's talking about. He says your story about the blind people at the party reminded me of something that brought tears to my eyes. A lifelong blind friend who has passed came on a bus to visit me. I had to work that day and couldn't meet him, so gave him walking instructions and left him a key where he could find it. He and I had perfect pitch. There was a ten-block straight stretch where it was easy to lose track of how many streets you'd passed. I told him that he would know he was on my street because there was a signpost on the corner that, when whacked with a cane, produced a C-sharp. He found the house no problem, and made himself at home. Thanks for letting me share one of many great memories of Robert Fearon. Another email from the Kingdom of You, where Benji is, and he says, Dear Jonathan, hope this message finds you and the family in good health and spirits. I wonder if you can help. I am hoping to start a small project of setting up and running a VPS, which will require the use of an SSH client. Unfortunately, I'm having little luck in finding an accessible app for iOS. Well, Benji, it's been a wee while since I had a play with this, but when I did, I used a thing called Prompt. They eventually came out with another version called Prompt 2, and I see it still is in the App Store. It isn't free, but when I used it, it worked exceptionally well, so... You may like to give it a shot, and of course, if it doesn't work out for you, I guess you can spring for a refund through Apple's very convoluted refund process when you find that an app isn't accessible. But it was great before. So Prompt 2, available in the App Store, and I found it by searching for the words Prompt SSH, and it came right up as the first in my list. 
But if anyone else has any recommendations about accessible SSH clients, let us know. Bev Powell is back and writes, Hey, Jonathan. One of our common complaints is finding a good portable keyboard with little to no latency. I recently acquired a Logitech K360 at a cost of about $40 from Best Buy in Canada. I'm not a speedy touch typist, but JAWS does keep up with my fingers. It is not a Bluetooth keyboard, but connects wirelessly via a tiny USB receiver. Unfortunately, it does occupy one of my USB ports. Maybe Heidi would know how the keyboard and the receiver connect. The unit is powered by a single AA battery. I have not yet checked out the maximum distance at which it operates. There is an on-off switch and little fold-up legs for those who prefer a slanted keyboard. Replacement USB receivers are available through Best Buy. The key layout is similar to a normal keyboard with extra large right, enter and shift keys. My unit also contains a separate number pad. In addition, there are six keys above the regular keys which can control music playback on the computer. Thanks, Bev. It reminds me of an old Logitech keyboard that I had way back in the OCB radio days. In those days, computers were a lot noisier. So my then father-in-law built a studio for me, and it had a control room where a couple of computers were, and then the actual studio where I had my mixer and one of these Logitech wireless keyboards that was battery-operated, and had a USB receiver that plugged into one of the ports. So the nice thing was, in the studio, there were no noisy, worry computers, and I was able to operate a pretty nice uh, AKG condenser mic in there because the studio had been treated with special acoustic foam, and there was nothing noisy in there. Marvellous! So it's interesting to know that Logitech is still doing that sort of product in the Bluetooth era. What's on your mind? Send an email with a recording of your voice, or just write it down. Jonathan at MushroomFM.com That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at MushroomFM.com Or phone our listener line. The number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN That's 864-60-667-36 Byron Sykes emails in and he says, Greetings! It sounds like, you know, when an alien lands from another planet and they get out of their spaceship and say, Greetings, Earthlings! Well, Byron Sykes says, Greetings. He says, I have the full Fire TV and like you, the feedback is great. It does one thing that irritates me and Christy. When you turn the audio volume up or down, it ducks the sound and says a number that may be relevant to it, but not to us. I guess it might be the volume level, Byron, I would be guessing. Is there a way to either have it not say those numbers or not duck the sound as long as it does? The ducking lasts about four or five seconds. Byron, I don't know, because we have the stick rather than the full Fire TV, which is what you have. So I'm not experiencing this. Maybe I would if I, I think there is a volume knob on the remote control, but I've never used it. So if anyone has any thoughts on this, 
let us know. It could be one of those things where you might want to contact the Amazon accessibility folks and suggest to them that this be an option in the voice view settings. Hi, Jonathan. Hope you and your family are well and that everyone is well at Mushroom FM, including Mushroom FM listeners. I wanted to comment on the Amazon Fire Stick. I am an happy, satisfied owner of the 4K Amazon Fire Stick. It is wonderful. I love it. The accessibility is very well audible with voice view. It's very clear and very easy to understand. I enjoy Crave, which is out here in Canada, and Netflix, and Disney Plus, and many other apps. They're all very accessible using the Amazon Fire Stick. Daniel Jacob says, hey, Jonathan, Daniel here. So since I have a lot of sighted friends who use emojis, I was more than happy to accommodate them by learning to use them myself. For some reason, in iOS 14.1, Apple inexplicably removed the regular thumbs up from the emoji keyboard. Thumbs up with light skin tone is there. The regular thumbs down is there. But just the regular thumbs up is nowhere to be found. Even holding down an emoji and dragging a finger to the right or left does not result in voiceover saying alternative characters available. I was wondering if you had the same experience and or whether you've provided this as feedback to Apple. I found that generally they're hard of hearing over there. If you have any ideas, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Thanks. It might be that they've just removed that emoji, Daniel, in the new emoji set. I don't use emojis a lot myself. So I don't have too much to add, but perhaps somebody who uses emojis more than I do can comment. Hello, Mosin at Large listeners. Daniel Sumrall back with everyone to review a skill for the Amazon Echo, or as Jonathan calls his, the thinker. <laughs> I hope I didn't trigger you with Jonathan. If I did, I'm sorry. Um, this skill is called Family Duel. And if you guys have ever heard of the game show Family Feud, it's kind of similar to that. And so that I do not get inundated with complaints, I'm going to use the button to activate my device. I have an Echo Dot. So, play Family Duel. Welcome to Family Duel. Two families walk in, but only one walks out. Would you like to play single player or multiplayer? Single player. Here's how it works. We asked 100 people a series of survey questions. In this game, we'll ask you five of those questions. For each question, try to guess the most popular answer. You only get one chance to answer each question. Are you ready to play? Yes. Here is your first question. Name something you might do if you have a cold. Take medicine. Ah! Sorry, that's not on the board. Next question coming right up. Darn it. Name a business that usually puts people on hold. Telephone companies. (laughs) Fantastic job. You added 21 points to the board. Let's move on to the next question. Name a term associated with bowling. Strike. 
Yeah. That was the top answer. You added 73 points to the board. Oh, dang. Next question coming right up. <laughs> Name a gift you would buy last minute. Silverware. <laughs> Incorrect. Oh. Here is your final question. Name something that smell reminds you of autumn. Flowers. Oh, man. Sorry, that's not on the board. Would you like to see your score on the leaderboard? <coughs> no. Would you like we'll to go play one more again? Time. Yes. We'll ask you five survey questions. For each question, try to guess the most popular answer to win the most points. All right. Are you ready to play? Yes. All right. Your first question is coming up. Oh. Name something annoying drivers do on the road. Text. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That answer was worth nine points. Bling, How bling. about we start the next question? Name a vehicle you would hate to get stuck behind while driving. A truck. Awesome job. You must read a lot of books. <laughs> the answer was worth 27 points. Let's move on to the next question. Name an occupation that requires you to deal with dead people. A nurse. Incorrect. How about we start the next question? Name a profession that can make you famous. TV host. Oh. Incorrect. Here is your final question. Name a U.S. president that has a lot of stuff named after them. Barack Obama. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that's not on the board. Oh, man. Would you like to see your score on the leaderboard? No. <clears throat> Would you like to play again? No. Thanks for playing Family Duel. Remember to leave a review on the Alexa Skill Store if you like playing Family Duel. Goodbye. Like the show? Then why not like it on Facebook too? Get upcoming show announcements, useful links, and a bit of conversation. Head on over now to facebook.com slash large. That's facebook.com slash M-O-S-E-N at large to stay connected between episodes. Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. This is Don Breda calling from New York City. And I first want to thank you for an excellent, excellent, most informative podcast. I really look forward to them every week. I really appreciate them. Thank you. I wanted to comment on the deep fake issue, and I did listen to some of the Nixon speech. And even without putting headphones on, I could easily tell that it was created uh, and not original. Uh, there's enough artifact in that recording, quite a bit of it, as a matter of fact. It almost sounds like he was speaking on, on Zoom <laughs> but in any case, uh, the, the main reason I'm bringing this up is because there was much, much, much better software out there to do exactly that 25 years ago. Uh, I know it seems hard to believe, but I witnessed it myself. If you remember the company Voxware, the authors of VoxChat, 
an audio chat client that came out in the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, they developed a piece of software, the name of which I don't know, that did exactly this. Uh, you could make a recording of someone's voice, a good, you know, high-quality recording, studio-type recording of somebody's voice, and feed the software a script, and it would read that script back in that person's voice, and it wouldn't sound one iota, and I mean not one bit different than the original, say, 16-bit 44.1 recording with good microphones and good equipment. It was absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. So you could read your podcast, uh, record Bonnie's voice, and Bonnie could do that entire delivery, uh, and you would never know it wasn't Bonnie, for example. Needless to say, that software is not available anywhere. I've always wanted to get my hands on it since then, and it got pulled very quickly, and you can only imagine why. Thanks a lot. Keep up the great work. Always nice to hear from you, Don. Voxware. I haven't thought about those guys for a long time. I wonder what their secret was. Because essentially that's what the concatenated text-to-speech engines are doing. When we use vocalizer voices like Daniel and Karen, they are real people on there. And they've been digitized, you know, lots of little samples, phonemic samples that those people have recorded over a period and strung together. So I wonder whether if you were to get that Voxware software again after all these years, whether it really would sound as good as you remember it. Interesting. Greg Rhodes is in touch, and he says, I would be curious to hear listener feedback, especially totally blind listeners that rely on screen readers, on their experiences using Microsoft 365. My understanding is that one of the advantages of switching from a version like Office 2016 to a subscription to MS365 is that I would get a few more accessibility features and more frequent updates, including accessibility enhancements. I've also heard complaints about Outlook. Curious to hear thoughts from you and others. Do I make a choice on where my Word and Excel files are stored on my PC or my OneDrive cloud account? Or are files stored on both? Thanks for the question, Greg. I can really see only one disadvantage of switching to Office 365. Well, yes, you're right. It's called Microsoft 365 now. And that is that every so often something updates and it breaks because you do get very frequent updates with Microsoft 365. Other than that, it's all good news. There are regular accessibility improvements to Office 365. And certainly as a JAWS user, I can report that they are working. Vespera was working very closely with Microsoft so that those benefits are passed on very quickly. There's an increasing use of UI automation so that screen readers can benefit from all of these changes. And of course, you can still use exactly the same apps that you've always used. Microsoft Word and Outlook and Excel and PowerPoint. They're all on your desktop. If you want to install the desktop versions of these apps, you're absolutely free to do that. They do have web versions of all of the apps as well. 
I've used them a little bit, but I guess I'm a bit of a traditionalist in this regard. I far prefer using the full desktop applications. So to answer that question you had, Greg, about whether you can choose to save to OneDrive or locally, yes, it's exactly the same application, just more frequently updated. So if you prefer to store data locally in your documents folder, then you can do that. We have a license that allows me and a number of family members, I think it may be four or five family members, to install Microsoft Office on up to five devices. So I have Office on my PC in the studio. I have it on my laptop. I have it on my phone and my iPad, and I think that leaves one installation free. But a bonus is that Bonnie has it as well, and she has access to five installations, and so do a number of my kids who want to use Microsoft Office. So there's not a lot to dislike. It's a really good deal. I don't mind paying an annual subscription to get the latest features. It does work out quite economically, I think, when you consider the number of people that can install it and also what it would cost to buy a full copy of Microsoft Office if you don't have access to education pricing. So in short, I would say absolutely go for it. I don't think you have too much to lose at all. Like many Microsoft products, they have various rings that you can go on that determine how quickly you get updates and how stable those updates are. But Microsoft Office, or Microsoft 365 as it's now called, is a heck of a good deal. I should say that over the summer, I did read an article that gave me pause for some potential concern. And in that article, they said that they're working on a big revamp of Microsoft Outlook. Now, I don't have any issue with the current Microsoft Outlook. It's been pretty consistent over the years. I do think it's quite a bloated application. And why in 2021 they don't have a unified inbox yet beats me. But perhaps we're going to get all that because Microsoft is apparently working on a brand new version of Outlook that is universal across a range of platforms. So it's web-based, but you kind of have a wrapper that you use Outlook in. So it sounds to me like it could be quite similar to the experience that many of us now have with Microsoft Teams. I'm not overly thrilled about that. (laughs) And I think from an accessibility perspective, we'll just have to watch this to make sure that it's not only accessible, but it's also efficient. If there's one comment that I have about Microsoft's accessibility efforts in general, is that they tend to be a bit overly verbose and dare I say patronizing. And so as we see some of the screen readers introducing support for UI automation, screen readers are becoming increasingly verbose and giving a lot of superfluous information that those of us who care about efficiency really are slowed down by. So I find myself going in to new JAWS releases and actually disabling some of Microsoft's UI automation features because they're just giving me far too much information and far too verbose a manner. And I do wonder how many blind people are involved in these decisions because, gosh, some of it is just really inefficient. So I worry that some of the customization and efficiency that we have with Microsoft Outlook, particularly with JAWS, which is so customizable, could be lost with this new app. But then that's what advocacy is about, isn't it? We just have to make sure that we get on the beta track whenever that app becomes available for testing and provide a lot of detailed, helpful and constructive feedback. Hi there, this is John Gallagher from Woodlesford in Leeds. Fantastic podcast, Jonathan. Just don't know how you do it. What a service for blind people. 
very interested in the LiDAR on the iPhone, would it be possible for a blind person to use it as a mobility aid? There is a harness on Amazon that you can put the phone in, which would enable you then to not have to purchase glasses with a camera in. The InVision AI is a fantastic idea, but again, it's costly, and how much will it be moved forward, especially regarding LiDAR? I have the iPhone SE 2020, and understand it does not have this capability. So next, or this year, when the iPhone 13 comes out, I will be very interested to take a look at it with regards to using LiDAR as a mobility help. I do use a very good guide dog called Zara to get around. I do not tune pianos now because of the virus here in the UK, which is obviously better to be safe. The great problem one has as a totally blind person is to be able to know if anybody is stood in front of you and LiDAR seems to be able to do this. So for example if you go into the local store the dog generally takes me to the door even if there's people stood in the way if she can get through she'll go to the door which is a bit embarrassing but it's just like a bus stop the dog goes to the bus stop but you're not always sure why the dog sometimes will stop before the shop and of course, if people are stood in the way, nobody speaks. So having the ability for this LiDAR to come into effect would be absolutely wonderful. I just wonder whether you've tested it out. And again, with this harness from Amazon, the phone fits into this harness just underneath your chin. So it would be, again, saving having to use glasses with a camera in. Because I think if you have the phone in the position like that, it, it's only doing the same as the glasses would do. So it would be very interested to see what you actually think of the LiDAR on the phone with regards to mobility. All the best to all the listeners, especially the people like ourselves who are struggling with the virus. For totally blind people, it's an absolute disaster. It really is difficult. It's good to hear your voice, John. I remember your name from my post-data days when you were a Braille Note user, and that was a long time ago now. I think you will enjoy the section coming up on Seeing AI, because yes, the LiDAR feature will work in the way that you describe with the magnifier that's built into iOS, but there is plenty more room for growth and for scope, and we are seeing some third-party apps now exploring LiDAR further, as well as seeing AI, which is free from Microsoft and available quite widely. There is the Good Maps app, which you and I, John, won't be able to access right now because, to the best of my knowledge, it is only available in the US, but they are using LiDAR with a view to making indoor navigation easier. So I think you'll find a lot of activity in this space with third-party apps very soon. And the good news is that with the next generation of iPhone, rumor is that they'll all have LiDAR, that they will go back to just the regular models, not just the pro models, and put LiDAR in there as well. And anything that gets this technology in the hands of more blind people 
who may struggle even to afford the regular iPhone, let alone the Pro. That's a really positive development. So we'll look forward to seeing what Apple offers in the way of hardware towards the end of this year. There are plenty of harness options available. I know this from my time working with Ira, and a lot of Ira users put their phones in either harnesses or attach them to lanyards that hang around their neck and are positioned in just the right place for navigation. So that's absolutely viable. I know that a lot of people in the UK, when I talked to them about this, seemed to get quite angsty about the idea that their cell phone might be stolen. I don't know whether cell phone theft is a particular issue in the UK that people feel worried about walking down the street with it. But yes, you could absolutely try this with your cell phone uh, in one of those harnesses or attached to a lanyard and use it for navigation. And of course, we do understand, based on the fairly reliable Apple rumor mill, that they are working on their own set of glasses. So who knows what they'll be priced at and what their functionality in the initial release will be. But man, we'll be really kitted out. We're, We're like bionic Apple people. People will be wearing Apple glasses, their Apple watch, carrying their phones. They reckon there's an Apple self-driving car in the works that Hyundai is working on with Apple. So I don't know, why don't we just get it over with and upload the whole contents of our brains to iCloud? But you make a very good point about navigation and finding things. I was a guide dog handler for a while. Wonderful black lab called Pearl worked with me when I was doing my government relations work. And the one thing I did notice was the freedom of travel, the kind of fluidity of the travel is amazing. The way the dog seamlessly moves you around objects and stuff, you can't beat that. But the downside is sometimes you do miss out on information about what's around you that your cane would pick up. I mean, it might slow you down, but it was still useful to have access to that information. So with technologies like seeing AI and the way that they're using LiDAR for exact placement and identification of objects you could have the best of both worlds as a guide dog handler be the first to know what's coming in the next episode of Mosin at Large opt into the Mosin media list and receive a brief email on what's coming so you can get your contribution in ahead of the show you can stop receiving emails anytime to join send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org That's media-subscribe at M-O-S-E-N dot org. Stay in the know with Mosin at Large. Mosin at Large Podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, I am here to share an experience of an accessory which I recently got as an early Christmas present. Well, if no one else gives you a Christmas present, get it on your own. (laughs) That's what I have done this year. This year has been tough for most of us. So I thought, why not, you know, have an early Christmas gift for myself. And uh, I'm just sharing my experience of using an accessory with my smartphone. Now, over a period of years, uh, since the invention of iPhone uh, in around 2007 or 8, you know, the size and the weight of the iPhone has kept on increasing in addition to the functionality which it offers to the visually impaired. So we had these iPhones 4, 4S, 5. My favorite was the iPhone 5. And now we've reached the 11 Pro, the 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max, which is the mammoth of a phone. Huge, big and more than around 240 grams. Excellent phone, but these are heavy and big phones. Similarly for Android, uh, the size of the phones have increased. 
yes the iphone 12 mini and the se 2020 are a good refreshing change but again not as as comfortable in the hands as the iphone 5 and the 4s so my hunt started in the month of uh, june or july when i was looking for a senior citizen visually impaired friend for any keyboard which has buttons and which can control your smartphone so i got introduced to this keyboard and uh, lately i got uh, unit for myself now this is a keyboard but this is a smart keyboard and the best part is it connects to your iphone voice over it connects to talkback with your android phone it also connects and works with samsung voice assistant so that's why i call it one device to rule it all one device to control it all the keyboard i am talking of is the revo 2 uh, which is a much better and improved version of the revo 1 i believe this was launched in 2018 but i am not really sure of this now let me tell you what is there in the box the physical description of the unit a uh, small uh, uh, you know experience sharing with using the uh, revo 2 with my iphone now i am an iphone user i do not use android so i have not paired it with android at one time the revo can connect to six devices six devices you can connect it to your iphone you can connect it to four iphones you can connect it to one iphone one ipad you can connect it to one iphone and uh, three android devices so totally six separate devices it connects via bluetooth now what is there in the box it's a very nice neat looking box when you unpack it you'll enjoy it the process of unboxing and what you get is the actual revo unit then you get a neck strap and you get a pouch and you get a micro usb charging cable and with regards to the physical description of the unit now it does not get better than this uh, all of you might have experienced or ever uh, had an opportunity to hold a debit card or a credit card so just imagine if you are putting 10 to 12 credit cards one above the other so revo is just that it is like 94 mm in width 12 mm thick and the total weight of the revo unit is 55 grams yes you've heard me right 55 grams it cannot get more portable more lighter more convenient and it has 20 buttons on the face of it so on the left side uh, basically we have five columns on the left side the column is l1 l2 l3 l4 on the rightmost side uh, rightmost side you have r1 r2 r3 r4 and in the middle you have these uh, 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 star 0 hash the key telephone keypad keys and the five has a bulge or a dot on it for identification each of these keys is tactile and easy to identify and there is a gap between the columns which makes using the revo a very good experience on the left hand side uh, on the to the left of l2 and l3 we have the mic and on the right of the uh, r2 and r3 rightmost side we have the speaker yes you are right this is also a speaker phone a bluetooth speaker and a smart keyboard for your smart device very interesting now on the topmost side you've got three buttons one is the power on button the second is the keyboard button and third is the audio button and on the bottom side exact bottom part of the unit we have the next strap hole then we have the micro usb charging port we have the hardware reset hole and we have the hole to insert the 3.5 mm uh, headphone now that is the unit for you
and when we need to power it on we just press uh, the power button once and you get a vibration i don't know whether this is coming in the mic and uh, the unit gets uh, powered on same thing when you want to uh, turn it off you just uh, hit the power button for a couple of seconds and you get two vibrations which tells you that the unit is powered off regarding the charging for 180 minutes you need to charge the unit with the provided charging cable and uh, it is good to go for uh, approximately 2 weeks if you are using it in the basic keyboard mode but if you are using the audio mode it might go for a week which is very good and if you want to check the battery status you just hold the power button and the keyboard button on the top and you get vibrations now now i got five vibrations means my battery is full if you get 4 3 2 your battery is coming down and uh, when the battery is very low it gives you two auto vibrations within a period of 10 seconds now i have got my iphone se 2022 56gb connected to my revo and i will just uh, show you in brief few of the features so i calendar saturday the 5th of december now i press 1 messages it goes to the top of the uh, screen home screen i press 7 music this is on the bottom of the screen and i was just using 4 and 6 which is equivalent to left and right swipe safari mail 11 phone page 105 and watch facetime settings app store third apple default apps for itunes still clock remind notes wallet tv whatsapp super you can do it fast also tv apps facetime watch page 105 adjustable now i want to go to the next page i just hit r2 page 205 page 305 page 405 page 405 similarly l2 to go through the previous page page 3 of page 2 of page 105 button firstpost.com ariana minister hindu stand type times of any ndtv dot headlines action button magic keyboard keyboard a teaching apple watch this is my today's widget charged. view iphone 90% charged actions available messages now i want to disable voice over just a triple click of zero on the revo unit at this point in time i am not touching my iphone at all my iphone is away from me and i am just having the revo unit in my hand voice over off now i want to enable it again voice over on messages three times i hit zero the voice over is enabled now i want to check the status bar i just hit l1 messages messages airplane mode on image status okay. item as in what of a grgg 303 wifi bars 322 now hitting the right swipe gesture which is 6 nothing else orientation locked image location tracking on 90% battery power not charging now i want to go back to the app from where i was i just hit l1 again messages wonderful now if i want to check the notification center so i press l1 and 3 Airplane mode on. Image status bar item. A silhouette of notification center. iPhone 323 PM Saturday. YouTube 12. Google Pay 49 minutes ago. Looking for Varanasi ticket on going. Now I hit five. Google Pay. So Google Pay is open, but I don't want to do it. So I go to the app switcher. Double zero. Zero twice. Headings. Touch ID for Google Pay. Messages. Just a moment. App switcher. App switcher. Google Pay. App settings. Settings. Active. Google, Google Pay. Pay. Active. Close Google Pay. 
close Google Pay. Closing Google settings, current action, close. Now I go back to my this. Uh, now I want to uh, do the control center. So I go to my status bar. Airplane mode on. Image status bar item. A silhouette of a cross on a beige surface. And I hit nine. Control center. Airplane mode. Switch button on. Mobile data dimmed. Switch button off. Actions available. Wi-Fi. GRGG. Bluetooth. Two devices. Turtles all the way down. Sturgill Simpson from YouTube Music. Now I want to go back to the home screen. I just press. Zero. Messages. So this is wonderful. Now suppose I want to read everything together. So I go to the top of the page. Messages. And I press R one, which is the read all command in a keyboard. Messages. Calendar. Saturday, the fifth of December. Photos. Camera. WhatsApp. TV. Wallet. Notes. Reminders. Clock. Now I hit R three to stop. This is pause. Now I hit R three again. Clock three twenty four p.m. iTunes Store. Apple default app. Yes. So again, the phone is not with me. I am just having the Revo unit in my hand. So uh, you know, uh, I am from India, and India the winter season has come. So in the night, you are tucked away in your blanket, and your phone is on the charging. You know, and you know, you are having sipping some hot chocolate, having the Revo in your hand. it makes it wonderful to listen to some music especially for whatsapp whatsapp is an application which is very popular in india so you want to consume lot of messages in several chats so you know you just uh, lazing around and without touching the phone without having anything heavy in your hand you just you know use the revo keyboard to check your whatsapp messages by just using the six key very 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 convenient similarly the main use of revo for me is when i pair it to my bluetooth earphones my primary bluetooth earphones currently are the bose frames and secondary are the airpods pro so recently i had taken a uber cab trip to a cafe my phone was in my pocket and i had uh, connected it to my bose frames and during my visit there uh, as well as paying my bill and coming back i did not you know remove the phone uh, except uh, except to scan the bill yeah that is the only time i removed i was controlling the phone from uh, my revo keyboard uh, this 55 gram lovely unit and i was able to check my mails uh, i was able to take a call uh, through my bose earphones or wearables i was able to uh, uh, you know clear my whatsapp messages and uh, i was able to uh, share my location through whatsapp so the thing with revo is there is a learning curve so you need to spend some time in understanding to know the product the documentation is there on the website so you need to spend some time the challenge is the revo does not have many uh, centers so they have a uh, you know the their partners at korea japan czech republic and i think the united kingdom Uh, other countries there are uh, not uh, many channel partners so it's very difficult to get a physical feel of the product and in case something goes wrong you need to ship the product to the, uh, to the manufacturer uh, but i must tell you my interaction with the manufacturer was fantastic i had a very good interaction in dealing with them over the mails they were ready uh, they were patient and ready to answer all your doubts uh, in terms of uh, you know uh, revo one drawback is again that the firmware update is done through a windows pc till date i have not had to do it uh, and that cannot be done through the iphone so that is one uh, weak area of revo which i feel uh, and uh, now there are several modes in revo now currently uh, if anybody's used the keyboard there is quick nav on and off so my currently quick nav was on now if i want to disable it uh, r1 plus 1 
the quick nag is dis disabled and and reactivated and uh, now suppose i want to check my kindle book so i'll just use my revoke keyboard to launch siri uh, without touching the phone and the best part is in this keyboard we have siri most bluetooth keyboards i know even the premium ones i think some of them logitech and apple do not have a dedicated siri button of what i am aware so launch kindle kindle forward link if you are reading this book it is because at some point now i'll just you have a worry or a current press r1 for the continuous reading forward link if you are reading this book it is because at some point you have a worry or are currently worried about money talking about money even if you have it is a curious to who we rarely have open and honest conversations about our spending and saving habits people may boast about great investments like a fantastic you know such a breeze in the evenings when you're tired you want to listen and the same thing now same thing uh, i'm just continuing this forward link if you're reading this book it is because at some point you have worried or are currently worried now i'm pressing the audio button on the revo keyboard you have it is a curious to boom we rarely have open and honest conversations about our spending and saving habits people may boast about great investments like a stock that made them super sized returns but shy away from mentioning the strain on their financial life now what i did was just press the audio button on the revo keyboard and and the audio came from the keyboard very very mild very nice very very relaxing in terms of it won't disturb your partner also anybody who's next to you you know it is such a uh, fantastic experience to listen to your whatsapp messages to music in the evening uh, without having any earphones just through the revo speaker it is not it is a very basic quality speaker because in a 55 gram unit you cannot expect a boss like sound but it serves its purpose you know and you can again immediately switch to the connected device speaker uh, by pressing the keyboard button uh, now let me show you uh, media playback launch youtube music youtube music collapse player button play button now now there is a mode so if i enable that mode uh, this is called as media mode so just few commands and my media will play the, with the help of my uh, revo unit so i am pressing l3 and star and then i press the play button which is 5 so i pressed 5 to play 4 for the previous track 6 for the next track 2 for increasing the volume 8 for decreasing the volume same from the same keyboard without touching my phone so just imagine when your phone is on the nightstand charging how much uh, use of the phone we can make uh, just by this unit in our hands and we can easily you know mute the volume also Nine to mute, unmuted, and nine to unmute. You know there is so much more we can do with Revo. I mean, uh, somebody who wants to go more in detail can refer to the documentation. Now, the voiceover gestures, which now again I want to go to the navigation mode. I press R four. Now, lot of times we want to turn speech off and cut screen curtain. So I just hit R one and R three. Speech off. Speech on. and i hit r1 and r4 for enabling and disabling or disabling and enabling screen curtain screen curtain on screen curtain off awesome so so comfortable and uh, now i'll open notes launch notes 
Notes. Back. Back button. Now hit seven. Edit button. New note button. New note. T note. Text field is editing. Insertion point at start. Now hit L3. Now the thing with is revoid. There are two methods of writing. One is the ABC method. Anybody using the Nokia phones, the Nokia C5 and all, they love this method. ABC, where 2 is for ABC and 3 is for DEF. And then there is a traditional revoke QWERTY method of typing. Yes, QWERTY. The company claims or requests that you definitely must try the QWERTY method. It is much, much faster uh, than any other typing method on such a sized uh, keyboard. However, for me, my workflow of typing is uh, pretty set, so I don't need Revo to type. Of course, I use it sometimes in my office, you know, to jot down numbers and all. So that is uh, convenient. And uh, anybody who's interested in, uh, you know, using Revo as a uh, mainly for typing can do it by learning the Revo QWERTY method. And we also have the ABC method. So let's just me check. Cap G. Cap H. Cap, cap L. Okay. Space LL. Okay, now I want to uh, delete it. So R1. Space L. And I want to type numbers. So I go to L4. Zero, two, zero, six, six, eight, zero, zero, four, four, four. Okay, that is the uh, numbers. So it is very convenient to uh, note down numbers, though primarily I do not use Revo for my typing experience, except for taking some short numbers. And you can also use Siri. So that Zero. is a very good advantage. Now I go back to my navigation mode. The unit is uh, very comfortable in your hands. It, it seems of, to be of mold plastic and uh, it does not seem to be I mean, it is scratch resistance, but it is not waterproof. So that was what I wanted to uh, show you my experience with this uh, unit. Uh, I hope somebody who's interested can look at this as an experience sharing and then go to the website and check in detail in case they feel interested. Thank you everyone for giving this uh, experience sharing a listen. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at large the legend that is Paul Henriksen is in touch with the podcast Squee. And he says, Hi, Jonathan, I was interested in the Mantis Braille with an uppercase B display when it was released, but found a few things that concerned me about choosing this display. And there's a list. Presently, the Mantis can only accept a file size of 100 megabytes. This means that you will be unable to load a large book from Bookshare. You, for example, cannot load the Bible into the Mantis. The individual at Humanware Tech Support told me that he was unable to download a book he wanted from Bookshare due to the unit's file size limitation. The second one. After talking to Humanware Tech Support, I was told that only a unit sold by Humanware can download books from the National Library Service or BARD. This could be of concern, if he wants to read Braille books from Bard on the Mantis. I was told that units sold by APH don't have this capability. 3. If you are collaborating with others, I would like to have the ability to both open and save files in DOC or DOCX format, or at least 
the RTF file format. Fourth, if you would like to have speech output or play an audio file, only the Chameleon Braille display has this capability. On the Chameleon, it would be easy to add the ability to play barred audio titles as well as read titles in Braille. Paul continues, of course, these products are very early in their life cycle, and there is always room for improvement as the software development progresses. Thank you, Paul. And I think the moral of this story is that it's really important for people to consider what they would use these devices for before they take the plunge. I know that this is a pet peeve of many people that sometimes when they've been assessed for technology and maybe they're early on in their technology use, so they don't know what they don't know. Often it feels like the technology they're given is the technology that the assessor likes or that the agency that the assessor works for likes, rather than sitting down and saying, here is this individual with individual requirements. What do they need? What technology would best fit this use case? And there are a lot of very thorough, good, hardworking technology instructors who do this, but there are some who do not. For my use case, for example, I think of the little add-on features in the Mantis as a nice bonus. I do find myself using the text editor quite a lot, much more so than I did with my focus, because it has word wrap and because it's QWERTY input and everything's coming up in contracted Braille and it really works quite well. But if I'm reading a book, I want that on my phone. And the reason I want it on my phone is that my phone goes with me absolutely everywhere. My Mantis may not necessarily be with me everywhere. Maybe I go out and I just want to use browse screen input if I get a text message or a message on Teams that I have to respond to quickly. Browse screen input is okay for that. And maybe I've got a little bit of time to keep reading my book. And so it's on my phone and I'll just have text to speech read the book. So I would not be into putting the book on the Mantis. If I want to read it in Braille, I can do that when it's in Voice Dream Reader on my phone and read it on the Mantis. So some of those functions are kind of just there for me. They're not the reason why I bought the Mantis. The reason why I bought the Mantis is so that I can have QWERTY input and Braille output, particularly with my iPhone, but to some degree with JAWS, where I have to say, if you don't use those commands every day to emulate control and alt and the function keys, it can be really hard to remember what they are. So that's what I'm using it for. It sounds like your use case, Paul, is more in the note-taker category. And although they're more expensive... Your needs may be better served by a brown note touch or the latest offering from HIMS, for example. But it does seem to me that you make some good points. I mean, if they're going to have bookshare support, it would be good to get rid of that file size limit for sure. And I do fully agree with you that if you're going to open a file format, you should also be able to save in that same file format. And I did actually point that out in my review that I got pinged by because I was working away on a document, saved it, and then realized later that when I went back and opened the DOCX file, I was actually editing an older version. That's not a good user experience. But you're right, it's early in the life cycle, and I really look forward to finding out what comes next. I do note that APH sent out a survey 
to ask Mantis users and would-be Mantis users what they would like to see. So I, I think the, the question is, how often are we going to see updates to the software of significance? I'm not talking about the little bug-fixy ones, which are, of course, important, but I'm wanting the big, chunky, meaty releases with lots of new features you can play with. So whether there'll be a pattern that emerges where we get into a cycle that you can expect them every six months or annually or whatever, I guess time will tell. Thank you for your very lucid thoughts, Paul. Good to hear from you. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, Dawn is in Sydney and says, Hi, Jonathan, I have just taken delivery of a new Mantis Q40. I have had a little trouble with Bluetoothing to my iPhone, but getting there. I have been using both six-key and typewriter modes and haven't quite decided which I prefer. However, I am very impressed. I had been using a Polaris, but the Mantis suits me right now. As if I want email or Facebook, I can just use my phone. Hi, Jonathan. It's Scott from Arizona. Regarding your uh, review of the Mantis Q40, I noticed you you mentioned it throughout the potential for scope creep. And I kind of had a a futuristic perspective on it, kind of food for thought. How about the ultimate solution might be a model of the Mantis with a built-in Windows 10 computer? Just think we'd have three choices then. We already have the L Braille. We have the inside one Braille tablet from France, and then we'd have three, a Mantis Q40W or a Mantis Q40W10. Well, you're dreaming big, Scott. You're dreaming big, and I like those dreams. I think there is a market for a Windows laptop with a QWERTY keyboard that doesn't have a screen. And there have been screenless laptops over the years. There was a computer. Gosh, I forget what it was called now, and lots of people are going to email in and tell me what it was called. But it was put together by a guy, I think he was in Colorado, and it was essentially a Windows computer with the screen ripped off. (laughs) So all you had was the keyboard. And if you could get one of those with a Braille display running full Windows and a QWERTY keyboard, that'd be a great piece of kit, as the Brits like to say. Mantis versus Focus is the subject line of this email from Marianne Mendes. Hi, Jonathan. I am an owner of both the Mantis and Focus. I'm curious what you think now about Braille input using a Braille-style keyboard on Windows and iOS. I have long believed that Braille input is the most efficient way of working with text, and this belief is also sometimes conveyed at the training centers. I am an experienced Braille reader and writer. I love Braille output in all its forms. I'd love to know your feelings about Braille input. How much time should one invest in gaining skills there? Marianne, I think it's a really useful skill to add to one's repertoire, but I also think that we have to be pragmatic and realize a couple of things. And I did cover this in my review of the Mantis, which you can go back and hear in the archives. The first thing is that if you're going at a really good clip, if you become a super proficient Braille user, you can get into situations where your speed gets you into hot water for a couple of reasons. One is that you can inadvertently cord when you don't intend to cord. In other words, you don't release the space bar quickly enough before you type the next character. What then happens is that you've had your Braille cursor rocket off to places unknown because, say, you do a space bar and you're going to press the letter L to start the next word. 
In many environments, an L chord will take you to the top of the file. So often you do find that you've gone somewhere you didn't intend to go. And I remember being on the old Blazy engineering list, you know, back in the Braille light days. And this was a problem even then. It's not necessarily a problem with the units. It just requires a lot of coordination to do this right. So I'm not sure I necessarily agree about the efficiency argument. The other thing, too, is that some software just isn't up to the task when it comes to Braille input. Now, if you're doing Braille input with JAWS, one of the downsides for me is all of those combinations that you have to remember to get the function key and control and alt and those things. And if you're doing, say, Control-Alt-F10 or something like that, for me at least, I really got to think about that for a while. What do I do to get all of those modifiers down and then the F10 key? And I suppose it's muscle memory. If you do it regularly enough, it will become second nature. So if you're talking about Braille input with JAWS, then I think largely it's how much are you willing to commit to learning those commands because JAWS Braille in is really robust. You can Braille away in, say, Microsoft Word, and it's almost like you're working in a word processor that was designed specifically for blind people that directly supports contracted Braille. When you backspace over a word that contains a contraction, for example, then you backspace over the contraction. On the other hand, iOS Braille input is still not up to par, in my opinion. It is quirky. If you Braille too fast, then many people will know that it has trouble keeping up. You kind of see this weird buffer where it takes quite a long time for the Braille display to catch up with what you are actually Brailling. And so I think there is an element of pragmatism about this. One of the things I have really enjoyed about using the Mantis is just how well it works with iOS. Now, I think we should still make the argument that for those who prefer a smaller form factor, which of course is true because there are fewer Braille input keys, manufacturers have the chance to make some really nice sleek little units and in fact next week on the show we're going to be doing a comprehensive review of the brilliant bi20x which is being released very shortly humanware sent me one of these as a demo unit and we'll talk to peeps from humanware and we'll do a demo of the display and it's a lovely display with 20 cells but you've still got the quirks of ios to contend with with braille input and of course hymns i believe it is have tried to get around this by creating their own little buffer where you braille into something local on the HIMSS device and then you send it all to iOS, which I think is a really pragmatic way of dealing with it. But it shouldn't have to be that way. I mean, a company of Apple's size and with all of the engineering resources at their disposal, if they really wanted to crack the braille issue properly, they could invest some resources or hire some resources, people who really understand braille, and get this thing once and for all. So, in short, I don't think I would die in a ditch over the philosophy on this one. I think it's handy to know Braille input, and I think if I were teaching someone Braille from the get-go, I'd probably still give them a Perkins to Braille on initially and, and use, because being able to input in Braille has a range of benefits. But I think, you know, if you're a good touch typist, then you may well find yourself just making fewer mistakes by going with QWERTY input, and it's great to have that choice. The Mantis gives us a very viable choice in that regard. It'd be good to open this one up and find out what other people think about this. Hey, Jonathan, this is Mike Calvo, and it's been on my heart to write to you for for just a while now, and life 
and COVID and everything else keep getting in the way. But I just wanted to start my message by telling you just personally, thank you. Um, you and this program are truly my guilty pleasure every week. I spend more time listening to podcasts and everything that have to do with my industry. And of course, here in the States with all the uh, political craziness going on, you know, the news is nonstop. And you, my friend, are a welcome distraction in a good way. Um, you're informative. You're entertaining, uplifting. The happiest of New Year's uh, to you, to Bonnie, to the family. Congratulations on the accomplishment of your children, the accomplishments of your children. And I, I hope this message finds you well. Uh, just uh, wanted to uh, thank you for a great program and just wanted to wish you a wonderful, wonderful 2021. Thank you, Mike, for your very kind message and the same to you. And of course, Mike is back. He's got a new company. It's called Numa Solutions with a silent P. P-N-E-U-M-A Solutions, and they have this new product, which we will have a look at sometime later when the schedule permits, called Scribe for Meetings. It serves and meets a very real need. If you've been on a Zoom meeting before and uh, someone's run a PowerPoint or brought up a Word document, you know that it's not accessible with a screen reader in that situation. So Scribe for Meetings takes care of that. You supply in advance the presentation that you're going to run, and then the blind person who wants to use that and attend the meeting launches the Zoom meeting from Scribe, and it all takes care of it from there. So we will check that out. Reinvigorated and rested after a summer break, it's Bonnie Bathing! Hi, guys. Yeah. Hey. How's it going? Good. Good. Yeah. Do you like this New Zealand tradition of everything closing down so everybody gets a nice break? Uh, it's it's interesting. It's good. You know, a lot of stuff is closed. So if you're out wandering around, I know one day I couldn't find anywhere to have lunch. That oh, was a bit discouraging. Because the idea is that you just chill at home and yeah, not, not, yeah. not do that. I kind of would like kind of the way a lot of schools in the U.S., well, pre-pandemic, went on the 12-month schedule where you go every day for three months and you get two weeks off. And then back for three well, months. Well, our schools do that too. Yeah. I mean, that'd it, be kind of cool to have a work me. have a work week like that. Uh, it it amazes week. me how much lovely time teachers get to. Have I know often. they get a lot of good time. Sort of they thing. need it. They deserve it. Okay then. And we workers. had a lovely evening out last night. We did it because was great. everything's just sort of normal here. We went to a lovely restaurant, and then we went to hear Ali Harper and crew doing a tribute to Bert Bacharach. Bert Bacharach. Yeah. Hey, he's still going. He is. 91 years old, still writing, still She producing. is an amazing performer. For whatever reason, I haven't heard of her before, but she's a New Zealand artist and she has a really good vocal style that's suitable for this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And she's on the streaming music services. So if you want to check her out, I highly encourage it. I'll play some on the Mosin Explosion. L.I. Harper. Yeah. Ellie Harper. H-A-R-P-E-R? Yes. Okay, because yes. I've seen Harper spelled different ways what how could you possibly spell harper any other way <laughs> we are going to talk about a couple of things first of all you've got any tech support stories where mainstream tech companies just don't seem to be able to cope with blindness most of them have been around cable companies <laughs> um, they seem to be the worst when your cable box is on the frets and you call them up is the blue light showing yeah i can't see the blue light well 
then I'm blind. Then they get all freaked out. So you can't see the blue light? Yeah. No. Um, what if you – so you can't see – It's they. a lot of them are going from scripts. And that's just not part of their, their That's script. right. Yeah, that's the point I was making at but the beginning. They when you were sleeping through the show. Just yeah, don't know what – well, I would have, would, would have reiterated it anyway. But they it's, – it's like they just can't cope with that. Well, can you – is there anyone in the house? That's right. That's the like, next question. No. Yeah. So there's no one there. Are you going to burgle me or something? <laughs> well, can you go get someone? Yeah. No, I'm not. It's, first of all, it's 12 o'clock at night. I don't think my neighbor's really going to appreciate it. B, I don't know my neighbors. I remember when I first met you and you were still living in Boston and everything. And the degree of ferocity that you displayed about your cable company was so scary. It almost scared me off you, to be honest. And trust me, just... sighted people were the exact same way with that particular company. Yeah. Yeah. I have learned over the years, not necessarily with tech support per se, but in customer service when you're talking to them to be nice. It's not their fault. And that's a lesson because I was really angry at MindSpring one time and I called them up and I was just so irritated with them. And it, because something had happened with my billing and I'm like, you know what? It's not the person on the other end. That's fault. right. That's and right. that was a really good lesson. So I try to be as patient as I can, but. Sometimes it is like a Saturday night live skit. I think somebody should write one up because it is it's pretty hilarious the conversations you can have with them sometimes. I haven't thought about Mindspring for a long time. I used to see all sorts of Americans with mindspring.net addresses. Yes, yeah, I had Mindspring for Earthlink was another Earthlink. one. Earthlink, yeah, then I had Earthlink. Is Earthlink still a thing? I don't know. I, know I still see people with Mindspring emails. Oh, right. So I don't know how they're doing that. But. Some of those old services. Mindspring yeah. was good. I thought they were great. They were out of Atlanta. Yeah. Oh, gosh, those Charles were the days. Charles Brewer, I believe it was. Now, the big story, though, mm -hmm. is that you decided that we should have a MacBook M1 in our house. Yes. I was a bit skeptical about this because I thought, well, you know, so. Well, why are we doing this? So why, why are we doing this? Basically, I, I think it's one thing that we don't do. Well, you do, but probably the majority of the world doesn't do, even though it's good to do, and that's upskill and learn new new things. And Mac is one of those controversial as, – as someone I was talking to the other day said they lived in a divided household – it sounds like, you know, there's a Republican and a Democrat, but there's a Mac Imagine user. being George and Kellyanne. Yeah. <laughs> I wish they would set up a, a reality I, TV show. I probably will. Where we got to see George and Kellyanne, because that must be extraordinary. I mean, I've been following him on Twitter, and he is just a prolific tweeter. Or James Carville and Mary Magdalene. Now, they would be cool, because I think they both have a lot of class. So they're, they're that would be – and James Carville is just hilarious anyway. Yeah. So I think that would be better. Yeah, um, he was on election night saying, there's no need for all these Democrats to start sitting your wrist. We're going to be fine. You just got to be patient. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. he's, he is, he looks like something the cat brought, drug it. I don't know what he looks like now, but back in the nineties when he was with the Clinton campaign, he looked like your drunken uncle or something. And he is actually, from what someone told me when I was living in Little Rock, very, very, very smart. So, oh yeah, yeah, brilliant, yeah, yeah. gifted that, uh, political tactician. Yes, but but, but somehow we have got on a major non sequitur anyway, in the context of back what to we the were Mac. We about. don't know if James Carvalho and Mary Mala have a Mac, but anyway, back to that 
divided household. But I thought that it would be good to to know how to use one. I had one years ago and just never really put the time into to learning it for a variety of reasons. And then we put Windows on it. <laughs> it was the most stable Windows. <laughs> you, you boot camped it. Boot camped yeah. it. Yeah. And then it became the most stable Windows machine I'd ever used. But you can't really boot camp anymore. Any, they've sort of made it more difficult to do that. that. That's right. That, it's because of the processor yeah. that they're now using, yeah. which is ARM-based. So you can't run x86 Windows. And you kept talking about the M1. And I'm like, why don't I just get a MacBook Air? Uh, first of all, I love them. I think that they're a work of art. <laughs> That's... Um, but sort of like the iPad, yeah, there'll be an art exhibit one day in the Museum of Modern Art or something about technology. But other companies, sometimes I have trouble telling my HP Spectre from the Mac. I have to look at it closely. But um, and so I got one and decided to 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 learn it because I think it's a good skill to to learn. Mm. So it's the base model we got. It's the base model because we didn't yeah. need anything super fancy. Because we're um, and we each have an account on. We each it. have an account. Yeah. yeah, it's called Mac the Knife. The hype is well justified. Mm-hmm. It's very fast. It performs really well, and it's good to see the non-accessibility related things that got me disillusioned with Mac in 2016 being addressed. So they've got rid of that despicable keyboard yeah. it looks like the next macbook pro is getting rid of that ridiculous touch bar and bringing the function and there are some back. blind people that are unhappy about that ah well, they're, well that's fine well uh, i i have been seeing universal praise yeah. for the demise of the touch bar yeah so there are some really good things happening in macland i still think that when you go back to my article at mosin.org slash saying goodbye to the Mac that I wrote in 2016 when I sold my MacBook Pro, my maxed out MacBook Pro, a lot of the accessibility concerns still hold. Yeah. Uh, And I do wish that there would be a bit more love shown to voiceover on the Mac, particularly with things like Braille support and various other things. But it's really nice. And being able to run iOS apps Mm -hmm. uh, on the Mac is great. That's really cool that things pop up. It's it's neat to be able to message people. The other day I wasn't even paying attention, and I'm just doing my thing, and the reminder popped up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and then – Right, so that's handoff. I'm, I, messages has been in the Mac for yeah. quite a long time. And it automatically will see my personal hotspot. Now, I have noticed that it – I don't know if it times out, but I seem to have to keep connecting to the personal hotspot. I don't know that it's, – it's kind of like if I'm not using the internet or something. Right. It, I don't know if that's it, a it Mac. May, that may well be the case. Oh. Um, but, yeah, and I want to give a shout-out to – tech juggernaut because right after i got the mac a friend of mine christina brino told me about a course that was being offered in january called month with the mac and that's with cliff miller and matt volbrick of a tech juggernaut and they have had a month of classes for people that are new with the mac and it's been really good they they really know their stuff I appreciate it because it's less for me to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they do. And I feel bad because and I need to email Trainer Cliff, but I, I haven't been able to participate in any of the Mac cafes because they're like 3 o'clock in the morning here. But um, so they would have to give me a Mac cafe to participate coffee. But they're really good. They're really great about answering questions. It's one thing that I've done a lot of over the holiday is go to a lot of virtual events, which – 
I've always been a bit skeptical of, but it's it's worked out really well. And um, they, they offer a variety of classes. I think they're doing one, a really intensive one in March about computing with the iPad. Because for some people, that's all they need. They don't need a computer. They can do a lot of everything with their iPad or iPhone. And many people can do exactly the same with a good Bluetooth keyboard exactly. or browser display and an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's a toolbox. Especially if you're totally blind, I think. Yeah, it's a toolbox. It's what you need. And I think yeah. we get so fixated on what works for you. Yes, and I, and I think this is a real challenge in the assistive technology oh, yeah, sector absolutely. generally that often I, I find people are recommended the thing that the, that the instructor they happen to be Likes. dealing with uh, is comfortable with. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a really tough area because there's so much going on in assistive technology mm-hmm. and people have got paperwork to do, let alone people to teach. Yeah. And uh, it's a real struggle. But but it is a it is a problem, and it's not a new problem. I mean, I oh, remember no, hearing in the states, for example, that certain states were jaws states and other states were window eyes states, for mm-hmm. example. And a lot of it depended on the dealers. A lot yeah, of it yeah. depended on friendships, and it's it's the same way I think with sighted people. If if your your cousin if your cousin's driving a Honda, they're naturally going to uh, recommend, oh, this is the best car ever. And some people wouldn't have one. And I think that it is important to have all options to be able to intelligently talk about the different options. Because even in my role, I get a lot of technology questions. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you should be able to have a question like, you know, here here is what I require. mm -hmm. What would be best for my situation? So I was talking to someone over the break who is quite into Office 365 and needs to do that for work. Office 365 used to be completely inaccessible on the Mac, and now it's accessible, yeah. but I don't think it's as efficient no. or viable as on the PC with with any of the screen readers, actually. But if you don't need Office 365, you could do some very effective word processing with Ulysses. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're doing other things with audio, for example, the Mac may be a far better option. So... I think it's all about the use case and thinking what are you going to do with your particular technology and what are your requirements. Yeah, and what is your – I mean the Mac is, let's be honest, it's kind of like when I started learning dressage and I went from hunter-jumper to learning dressage. It's totally different. You have to forget everything you know. Yeah. And kind of the Mac is the same way because I find myself when I'm switching between them, I'm trying to use Mac commands on the Windows – and it is a learning curve, and it does exercise your brain. And and, mm. and and it is a muscle. And like they've stressed several times in the class, you can't do it as a hobby. You have to really, with anything, whether you're learning French or learning the Mac or woodworking, you have to immerse yourself in it. Yes, and, and, and just because it works differently doesn't necessarily make it inferior. No, I think not at all. That Windows is inferior to the Mac for certain tasks, and I mm-hmm. think the Mac is inferior to Windows for others. But yeah. I don't think that either is particular. You know, either is in and of itself inferior. It really does depend on what you're doing. And gee, and these what- Macs are these these Macs. Um, the battery life is incredible. Oh, it is incredible. The way that it wakes up from hibernation is great. It's just like tapping the power button of your iPhone. You know, Go, you lift that boom. lid and it's wow. Yeah. So, uh, 
There's a lot to be excited about, and I see there is talk already. Mark Gurman from Bloomberg, Bloomberg, who's a really reliable source. Bloomberg, yeah. Uh, He uh, is saying that they're working on another one where they're bringing back MagSafe, which I'm not that excited about. I used to hate the way it was so easy for the charger to fall out. Annoying. The the MagSafe. But a lot of people like MagSafe. And various things, um, they are working on a a cellular Mac. A cellular Mac. Oh, when okay. the cellular Mac comes out, that will be very, 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 very tempting yeah. in certain areas. So, well, it's exciting. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm really glad we have it around. Mm-hmm. And of course, one of the one of the other reasons that Bonnie persuaded me was that now that we have this, when appropriate, we can do demos for this podcast. Yeah, um, absolutely. Of Mac apps and yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, I, I'm really impressed with the hardware, and I I just hope that. Maybe just a little more effort might be put into VO uh, on the Mac. Hear but, that, Tim Apple? But it's tough. I mean, I'm sure that the accessibility department, um, the developer team, have limited resources, and I bet you that there are many, many times more iPhone blind users than there are Mac users. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I get that, and and I'm grateful for all the work going but into the iOS. The ones that but, use it are passionate. Yeah. And, and of course, <laughs> one, one thing that is um, – Really interesting is the different ways that you can now present content on the screen. So you can continue to interact with content, which I think for busy screens actually makes quite a lot of sense. One of the things that a lot of people don't appreciate about the Mac that is quite neat is the way that you can use the voiceover find command to find any elements on the screen rather than just tabbing around or whatever. So that's pretty nice. Um, But you can... You can essentially expand the entire screen so you don't have to interact with anything. You can do this bookending thing. So there has been some work done, and hopefully there will be more because this hardware, it's just very hard not to be anything but but glowingly positive about the hardware. It's lovely. I think it's more than anecdotal. It does seem to me like voiceover busy in Safari is much less of a deal yeah. with the M1 Max. Oh, there's something I did, found that did want to mention, and that's the passing of Larry King. Yes. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's that's so – I woke up this morning and got that in my notifications. I was so sad to, to yeah, read that. Yeah, he was just – He's a legend. He is a legend. Yeah. And he – I grew up – I mean, every night Larry King was on for years until he went to CNN. Yeah, he was on at nighttime, wasn't he? Nighttime, yeah. I remember my my very first visits to the United States in 1988, and I was just so fascinated by American radio because, of course, in those days you couldn't stream it or anything like that. So I couldn't wait to get into American radio. And I remember finding this guy talking into the wee small as He's on Mutual, wasn't he? The Mutual Broadcasting. Yeah, and Jim Bohannon would always fill in when he wasn't there. I didn't hear that, but I I remember hearing Larry in my first visit to the United States, and then we got CNN in New Zealand in 1990, and uh, he was on CNN by then. Yeah. And I remember hearing him and thinking, I know, I remember this guy from when I was over in the States. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I think his real golden moment was that 1992 presidential election. He was just so consequential then with his Ross Perot interviews. And, you know, um, I remember he had President Bush the first on and Stephanopoulos got through somehow uh, as a caller. And, and <laughs> I remember, I remember when 
when Bushfat re- realized who it was, he actually said, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. It's probably one of those things they'll show, you know, in his tribute. But he, yeah. he was just good. I liked him. He could get rude with people. Watch your question. Watch I remember that. Watch your question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely New York. I called in a couple times. Did you? Yeah. Did you get on? Yeah. Oh, wish I'd heard that. Yeah, once was there was an astronaut on, and I called to ask some kind of question, and then another time it was Vladimir Posner. There you go. But um, yeah, he uh, he was great. I mean, I just yeah. I I spent so many nights with Larry King. He will be remembered <laughs> just, very fondly. Yeah, he uh, was just he he was never a hardball interviewer, but I think he, and I think on some levels that was good because he even said it himself. Everybody would talk to him. Yes, that is true. Sometimes you can extract a lot more information by having a casual sort of intimate conversation mm-hmm. with someone than interrogating the soup oh, out yeah. of them. And I think yeah. that we've lost a lot of that. Mm. And he was he was good. People would yeah. talk to him. He said, people just come up to me and care, Larry. You know? Well, yeah. we'll see you next week. See ya. Thank you. To contribute to Mosin at Large, you can email Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com by writing something down or attaching an audio file. Or you can call our listener line. It's a U.S. number, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. Mosin FM.